Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, LendingLies.com, and The Garfield Firm, servicing all 50 states and 24 countries with news and analysis about the largest economic crime in human history. This program is for general information only and should not be used as a substitute for legal advice or consultation with a licensed professional. This show is not intended as a solicitation for the engagement of any services. And now, presenting world-renowned author, trial lawyer, CLE lecturer, and court-approved expert witness on securitization of debt, Neil Garfield. What's in a name? Use your eyes and your mind. It turns out that the Wall Street investment bankers who created the securitization mess actually told us a lot about what they were doing just by naming their sham conduits. The names say a lot about what the companies were actually doing, which is nothing. Nationwide title clearing was a fake attempt to present clear title while obfuscating it. In other words, creating unclear title. Hi, this is Neil Garfield, and this is Thursday, April 29th, 2021. I'm broadcasting live from Duval County, Florida. American Brokers Conduit is another example. Here is a name that I've mentioned before that was used on the promissory notes and mortgages of thousands of transactions with homeowners, supposedly located up in Melville, New York. Hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars in transactions were done with homeowners using that name. Why would you think that this name, American Brokers Conduit, was anything other than the name of a venture in which a company was acting just as a broker or a conduit. Well, the typical homeowner, and frankly many lawyers, would not think of anything other than that because they believe what they're being told, and they believed it at the time of the closing. They were being processed for financial execution. They're doomed. And, of course, they had no idea what a broker or conduit actually did. Few people do. The name belonged to a company that was incorporated in New York State and which had nothing to do with the origination or enforcement or servicing or administration of any obligations arising from any transactions with any homeowners who signed documents naming them as the payee on a note or the mortgagee on a mortgage. Despite this fact, thousands of foreclosures were successfully prosecuted in their name, all deriving their and and if not in their name, then deriving their claims of ownership of the note and mortgage and debt from American Brokers Conduit, which was just a name, obviously having no right, title, or interest to grant or convey anything. 
So I called American Brokers Conduit, and they were, to say the least, really pissed off that somebody was using their name to perpetrate a fraud on the public at large. What happened to all the fatally defective title chains using the name of American Brokers Conduit? Nothing. And then a trial where I cross-examined the robo-witness for most of the day, it was clear that he was claiming that the documents that he sought to offer, or we say proffer, into evidence showed that Fannie Mae was the investor from the start, American Brokers Conduit. But that was also a lie since Fannie Mae does not originate any loans in its own name and never... Uh, and had never been disclosed as a lender. Needless to say, that case was settled very favorably for the homeowner. Wells Fargo in that case first presented as a creditor. Then they admitted to being only a servicer. Then they claimed to be representing Fannie Mae without any document showing that Fannie Mae was the least bit involved. They had nothing. None of this should come as a surprise to anyone who simply read the name of the party who was named as the originator of the transaction. American Brokers Conduit says it all. Even if it was a company, it's saying it's a broker or conduit. The name is telling you that the name is being used by some party acting as a sales agent and as a conduit for some undisclosed third party, which means that title is defective from the start. You need the actual parties, not some agent or conduit unless the agency is disclosed. At the, same, at the, at the very least, the name alone should serve as the starting point for the attack on whether any documents offered as deriving their evidentiary value from a company that does not exist and whose name already implies that it was never a party who had any financial interest in the transaction with the homeowner other than the receipt of a fee. Why does it matter? Is it just some technical point that makes no difference? No. If you buy a car that has some defect in it, you want to be able to take it back to the dealer for correction or replacement. In these alleged loan closings, there's nobody to take that car back to. There is nobody liable for violation of lending statutes. And that is why the Wall Street banks have perfected the process of faking documents while pretending they had nothing to do with the fabrication of those documents. There is nobody who answers for giving you a false appraisal. There's nobody who says or represents directly or indirectly that the alleged transaction is a loan based upon viable terms for you. You have nothing because there is nobody. Even if American Brokers Conduit had been an actual entity it would have been just as the thousands of other companies were a very thinly capitalized company if you had gotten a judgment against them for their wildly inappropriate uh, underwriting and, and lending practices. 
you would have gotten nothing. And on the hidden side of the curtain, there is no loan account nor anyone claiming to be a lender, but everybody is claiming that the named originator, like American Brokers Conduit, who does not even exist, is the lender. It's all a lie, a living lie. And that's why my blog is, was named Living Lies. Uh, side point, we are looking at changing the name to Lending Eyes, as in what you see with. Uh, anybody has a comment on that? You can write to me at neilfgarfield at hotmail.com. Does it sound to you that the point is just theory or technical and makes no difference? I hope not. I realize that this stuff is technical, but it's not theory, it's fact. And while it is technical, it matters a great deal to whether you preserve your assets, your home, your credit rating, your lifestyle, your marriage, everything that goes down the tubes when a foreclosure happens. Because unless you understand that there is a fatal fundamental defect in the title chain, when they use, uh, when they use sham conduit brokers, and they're the ones who initially sign assignments, the brokers that is, sign assignments of mortgage and endorsement of notes right there in the closing agent's office. I have interviewed enough closing agents to be able to tell you with certainty that in many cases, the mortgage broker or the sales agent comes in and as soon as the closing is, is over, signs an endorsement of the note, signs a blank assignment or a blank endorsement of the mortgage, and that's who does it. That person has no authority to do so in terms of having received authority from anyone who had the right to grant it. Now, they did have authority. And that's the difference between signer and somebody who's actually authorized to sign. We'll get into that in a minute. Until you understand all that, if you're faced with foreclosure, you will lose. If you do at least accept the, pop, the probability that it is correct, that is what I'm saying, and you properly use court processes I previously described, you're most likely to win your case. It seems impossible to most people, but it's true. And all the cases that have been won, the thousands and thousands of cases, are buried under various settlements in which they, uh, the homeowner received money or value in exchange for signing a document that was uh, uh, under seal of confidentiality. So it ends up that all the cases where homeowners win don't get publicized. 
the reason for all this is nobody trusts money uh, uh, to anyone else unless they have a damn good reason to do so. You don't owe money to just anyone. You only owe money to a creditor, and the creditor must be somebody who has paid value for your so-called debt. It's not theory. It's fact. And in all 50 states, attorney general and the U.S. attorney general, all of them agree about that. They all brought claims against all of the obvious players, but none of the real players. And then they settled for a PR victory instead of actually correcting the system. Tonight we're going to take a look at the case of people of Illinois against nationwide title clearing. The name, again, says a lot about their business. How can they clear title? Just looking at the name, one might conclude that this was a national clearinghouse for title. There is no such thing. There never was and there never will be under our current system of laws. The only clearinghouse for title are are individual county recording offices. You know, where you record deeds and mortgages, that's the clearinghouse for title. There is no other place, not MERS, not NTC, Nationwide Title Clearing, not anything. These are all make-believe entities that do nothing. Only the people with a legal interest can clear title and file the appropriate document signed by actual officers of the company that has a legal interest in the property. A third-party vendor can be used to create documents, but in real, real life, that rarely occurs with real loans. In other words, if Chase made a real loan, Chase would prepare the document. They wouldn't pawn it off on somebody else. They might give the template to a closing agent and tell them what to fill in, but the closing agent would not create the document, and nobody in between the closing agent and Chase would prepare the document. That would make it outside the control of Chase, and if Chase is loaning 300000 or $3 million on some homestead, they're going to want to know that the right document is being used in the right way. But that's not what happens in securitization because there is no loan. I know that's impossible to believe, but it's true. In all events, there is not a bank or lender in the world that would give any third-party vendor the right to sign such documents unless it was just an accommodation document or a document for convenience that had nothing to do with the ownership of the underlying debt or the claim debt. In other words, if they're just pushing paper around in order to make money, then sure, anybody could sign. But if they're actually transferring ownership of a $300,000 loan or a $3 million loan, believe me, there's not a bank in existence that would use the procedures or players that the investment banks 
have brought in to, uh, to this, all of whom make a lot of money because it's basically a printing press for the investment banks. The same thing is true for services. If you were claiming to own or control trillions of dollars in mortgage loans, would you allow some thinly capitalized third-party vendor like Aquin or PHH or SPS or SOS to receive the payments and depend upon them to honestly account for the money and then make payments? No, you wouldn't. No lender would do that. Those parties named as services are not allowed to collect any money, nor do they make any disbursements of payments received from homeowners. Because the services never received the payments, so they can't very well account for them. Any so-called business record showing receipt and accounting for such payments is a blatant lie. I'm talking about that payment history. That's a report of a report. The servicers, like everyone else in the securitization chain, are merely brokers and sham conduits, like American brokers conduit. So let's look at the Illinois case from 2012. We're talking people of the state of Illinois versus nationwide title clearing, a Inc., a Florida corporation, case number uh, 12CH03602 um, in the Circuit Court of Cook County, Illinois, County Department, Chancery Division. And I'm going to, I've already given you the link so you can get it on the blog or off of the description of the show. Um, all the allegations are dead on right. They're confirmed by many people. But most important thing is that this is an official government agency, the Attorney General of the state of Illinois. And these allegations are the result of a long investigation and findings of fact and law by that agency. And the relief they demand is dead on right although they settled without actually getting the relief demanded, which was supposed to include withdrawing the false document that caused the lawsuit and the investigation to begin with. And that's the problem with the 50-state settlement, with all the settlements. The parties settle, they pay money, they neither admit nor deny and they promise they'll be good, they promise they'll make corrections, but they don't, and there's no follow-up to make them. The retreat from full enforcement was the result of a faulty decision-making process that was corrupted by a threat that was so large that nobody could see past it. Nobody actually was willing to investigate the threat or test it. It was the threat of universal financial Armageddon. The investment banks were saying, if you stop us, we will shut down the world. It was pure bullshit, but it worked. It resulted in tacit approval of an entirely fraudulent scheme, not just in past conduct, but also a green light for ongoing fraud through foreclosure. Securitization claims. Resecuritization claims, 
and the issuance of more nominal value in unregulated securities than all the money in the world 20 times over. And just as a point of reference, the value of all such securities in 1983 was zero. So let's take a quick look at the findings of the investigation by the Illinois Attorney General, which mirrors the findings of other attorney generals and many other regulators. And remember that just because they put one company out of business doesn't mean another one doesn't pop up. Wall Street's ready to pay anyone to fabricate false documents. There are several interesting quotes from the AG complaint in Illinois. The side issue is whether the invalidation of these documents is a fatal flaw in the chain of title, whether the invalidation casts enough doubt on all documents submitted by this servicer as a business record exception to the hearsay rule, and whether this opens up more room in discovery to reach the question of whether the claimant has paid value for the underlying obligation as required as a condition preceding to filing anything to enforce a security instrument like a mortgage. So the complaint opens up with Nationwide Title Clearing, Inc., NTC, as a document production factory. NTC has created, signed, and recorded hundreds of thousands of documents for financial institution within the mortgage industry. These documents include mortgage assignments, lien releases, and affidavits, along with other documents affecting interests in land. These documents have been recorded in county recording offices throughout Illinois and across the nation. So that's their opening statement in their complaint. What they're saying is that this entity has created, signed, and recorded hundreds of thousands of documents on behalf, supposedly on behalf of financial institutions within the mortgage industry. Then they say NTC creates these documents through highly compartmentalized assembly line procedures. Remember, you can use plaint or, or parts of this complaint to cut and paste into your own, either as an affirmative defense or as a counterclaim. And it doesn't have to be against NTC. The, I consider this complaint to be somewhat of a template that can serve as the foundation for the affirmative defenses um, and, and counter, or counterclaim. Remember that the counterclaim may be subject to the statute of limitations, but the affirmative defense is ordinarily not subject to the statute of limitations, but it is limited in terms of damages to the amount demanded in the original claim. Now, in non-judicial states, that presents something of a problem and why I think that the treatment of the non-judicial procedure in a contested foreclosure violates due process, but that's another question. So, 
the the attorney general goes on to say that these documents are done through the highly compartmentalized assembly line procedures, and NTC signers occupy an essential position on the assembly line. Goes on, NTC signers sign their name on thousands of documents per day without reading the documents they sign and without verifying the information contained on the document. That is a form of forgery. It's not just robo-signing. They might just as well have signed their names to blank pieces of paper and then, and in many cases I think this happened, and then the document was created on top of the signature. NTC was at all relevant times engaged in trade and commerce in the state of Illinois by creating, signing, and recording mortgage assignments, affidavits, lien releases, or satisfactions of mortgage and other documents in Illinois land record systems. That's what invokes the consumer protections, et cetera. They were engaged in trade and commerce. They had an obligation of fair dealing and honesty, and they can't get away from that. But the investment bank that employed them is not liable for, or does not appear to be liable or has not been prosecuted as liable for what NTC did. When a financial, that goes on. When a financial institution hires NTC, the financial institution executes a corporate resolution that designates certain NTC employees as corporate officers of the financial institution, typically under the title of vice president or assistant vice president. I'm just reading here. I'm not making this up. These NTC employees are granted limited authority to sign certain documents on behalf of the financial institution. Now, here's where there is a divergence that most people don't pick up. They, they're authorized to sign whatever they're told to sign, but there is no authorization from any owner of the underlying debt to sign any of those documents. So there is authorization for them to put their signature down when instructed, but there is no authorization that this assignment or this endorsement should be executed on behalf of the financial institution. That's how they, the financial institutions, Goldman Sachs, et cetera, get away with saying it wasn't us. If there was a problem here, it was because of the automated systems and the people over at NTC who did not monitor the process properly. We didn't do it. The complaint goes on. These employees have no other authority or responsibility to the financial institution. Very important point. Their only authority, again I'm quoting, is to sign certain documents, not to know anything about them. These employees are typically called signers. In deposition testimony, and I'm quoting from the complaint, 
Brian Bly has admitted he does not read the documents he signs and that it and that he does not take any steps to verify the information contained in the documents he signs. Nevertheless, in paragraph two of the affidavit of lost assignment, Brian Bly asserts after being duly sworn that he has personal knowledge of all the facts contained in the affidavit. And then it goes on to show all the ways that he had no such personal knowledge, does not claim it, and that he had no business signing anything. And the problem, of course, with that case is that it was settled for payment of money, and there was a promise to make to take corrective action. It never happened. But the allegations of the complaint can be used, number one, as a basis for drafting your own, and... You could argue that these allegations constitute a finding of fact and law by an, a, a government agency which has the presumption of being correct. Might not carry you all the way in trial, but it might carry you in terms of ex expanding uh, your discovery and your attempt to enforce it. That's it for tonight. Thanks for joining me. We'll be back next week. The opinions expressed on The Neil Garfield Show are those of its hosts and should not be ascribed to any other persons or entities. For more information about Neil, the blog, or upcoming seminars, please visit livinglies.me. Give us a call at 954-451-1230 or send an email to... In